Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of Schmerz Day, July 26th, 2021. Happy birthday to my twin sister, Linda. On the show today, news, listener questions, and in our main segment, Jim gives us a brief history of Epcot's Food and Wine Festival, and special guest Christina Crispy Lemons Harrison comes on to talk about the best things to eat at this year's event. Let's get started by bringing in the man who dreams of a world where chickens can cross the road without their motives being questioned. It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? You didn't happen to see this past weekend Space Jam, A New Legacy? You know, I've never seen the original movie. It's a gap in my cultural knowledge. See, the new legacy answers so many of the questions. You know, they're, they're left unresolved from the first one. <laughs> <laughs> the people were waiting for the resolution today. There Was it go. as good as the book? That's the real question. <laughs> we I'm waiting for the PBS miniseries. I was insane. Okay, the reason I bring this up, because again, you, you mentioned Chickens Crossing the Road. There is, in the credits, there was this wonderful shot a foghorn leghorn standing outside the entrance to Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles, <laughs> looking askance. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles, for our listeners, is a real thing. It's, an, it's a cultural <laughs> institution in Los mm-hmm. Angeles. I actually, actually took yeah. Hannah to, uh, to the one in um, Compton. True That's story. Right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not saying the film is worth seeing for that one gag. But, <laughs> but you're not saying no either. I'm not, I'm not saying no. All right, Jim, let's do a quick shout out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com. Thanks to new subscribers, Norman Tenenbroek, C. Danick, and John Shannon 0 and longtime subscribers, Hartnet22, Greg C. Lakers62, Becky Coles, and Amy Zelsnock. Jim, these are the folks who came up with the name Gurgling Suitcase for the bar over at Disney's Old Key West Resort, which is an inside joke about the time they had to drown an evil animated piece of luggage that escaped from the nearby Team Disney building, coincidentally, while Imagineering was working on Magical Express bus service. True story. That's a lot to unpack. (laughs) There we go. I can't top that gag. I respectfully step back. (laughs) And Jim, before we do the news, let's introduce our special guest, touring plans researcher and photo stylist extraordinaire, Christine Harrison. Christy, how's it going? I'm adding that to my resume right now. It just says Minion. <laughs> minion, exactly. Oh, thanks for having me on this fine Schmerz Day. <laughs> this fine Schmerz Day. Jim, I haven't uh, told you this, but uh, Chrissy's daughter, Gigi, does yep. an impersonation of the show opening that is oh, spot on. She's like, wow. Oh, this is Len, and it's Schmerz Day, July 27th. Today we're going to talk about boring <laughs> stuff. <laughs> and Jim, I will say, when she does... Her impression, she has an American girl doll, Bitty Baby, that's the the youngest American girl doll. And Mm -hmm. that's always you. So she'll be Len, and you're this adorable six-month-old baby. Given the amount of hair I have left at this point, you know, that's... Good skin, though. There we go. All right, Jim, let's do the uh, the news. Folks, the Disney Dish News is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Disney Dish Podcast. For a worry-free travel experience every time, book online at storybookdestinations.com. All right, Jim, let's go over the reopenings that were announced over the past week over at the studios. The Wonderful World of Animation restarts on August 1st. You and I thought this might have been the Star Wars fireworks, but it looks like it's that. Um, also, if you're on the studios this week, I'm told the fireworks testing for this. that was supposed to happen last week is happening this week. So, Jim, not a surprise that it's coming back. Uh, maybe a little bit surprised on the show, right? Given what the Chinese theater is now the host to, that attraction, I mean, I, I guess it makes sense. Wonderful world of animation yep. versus the Star Wars show. Fair enough. Over at the Magic Kingdom, uh, Tomorrowland's Monsters, Inc. Laugh Floor 
reopens August 8th. Mildly surprised by this, Jim. You? Remember, we've had the Monsters at Work series debut just recently on Disney+. Plus. So you think it's a tie-in? Yeah, I mean, that's a really specific crew that did that yeah. show. Just getting those folks back who can literally sit in front of those three and four different monitors. In improv, and yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm told it's the equivalent of trying to do stand-up while landing planes at LAX. So, <laughs> you know, the fact they found enough folks to bring that show back on a regular schedule, that's kind of encouraging, actually. And uh, coupling that with the announcement of back again at the studios, that Beauty and the Beast live on stage coming back on August 15th, that'll definitely help Magic Kingdom and the studios with some of the long lines that we've been seeing at the attractions. True, true. Over at uh, Epcot, Turtle Talk with Crush reopens August 21st. Also, at some point in August, over at the Magic Kingdom, the Hall of Presidents is set to reopen with the new Joe Biden animatronic saying the oath of office. So, Jim, this is interesting. We um, Are we getting away in Hall of Presidents from having the presidents record their own speech and instead just stick to the oath of office, which is thus far uncontroversial? Things are so polarized politically yeah. right now. In fact... Doris Kearns Goodwin was just commenting that the only other time in American history that it's ever been this bad was 18, the 1850s, just prior to the Civil War. So, Great. you know, Fantastic. not saying anything, but folks, maybe canned goods might be a good idea. <laughs> but again, the idea that at this point, it's like, look, let's just have him read the oath of office. God help us, the next president. You know, it's like he's up there, a loaf of bread, bottle of milk, come home right away. <laughs> So that should be uh, sometime in August. We, have, we don't have a specific date on that, though, do we? We do not. Okay, no. but at some point. All right. Also, uh, in terms of reopenings, uh, Trader Sam's has reopened at the Polynesian, along with the regular Polynesian hotel rooms. And Chrissy, you stayed there on opening night, didn't you? I did. I did both of those things. And you, opening you, night, the Moana room, yeah. And you actually, you, and you liked the rooms quite a bit, right? Oh, no, I loved the rooms. <laughs> I have an eight-year-old daughter yeah. who's a humongous Moana fan. So she walked in and was like, oh, started singing. We played Moana all the way to the resort. I, uh, I, I like the rooms. I thought the, uh, I thought the decor was really well done and fit the theme of the resort really Absolutely. well. A couple, of, uh, a couple of the big changes. So the rooms seem brighter to me. Definitely. Also, the room that you were in was shower only, no tub. Which I like because I'm not going to let my child sit in a tub that anybody cleaned other than myself. Yeah, that's true. And yeah. It's better for our mother. You just have to step into a tub. That's always scary. Yeah, yeah, with a baby. Love it. Yeah, yeah. And the um, the showers have a detachable wand as well as a shower head. Shower yeah. head. Yeah. Uh, so that's so that's good if you need to do that. And what did you think of uh, Trader Sam's? See, I've never been. This was my first time, and I still have that. Um, COVID trauma. Yeah. So being in tight spots with, with lots of inebriated the, bloggers and no masks. This is, yeah, this is the thing we were, we were talking about the, uh, a couple hours before you got in that it was, first of all, it's humid outside. Everybody was sweaty. Everyone smelled. And then they were trying to pack as many people as possible into Trader Sam's, you know, because everyone's excited to get in there. No one's wearing masks. So I started calling it Trader Sam's COVID Palace. I'll co-sign on that. Yeah. I, there is <laughs> Jim is over Good here. Got, got the lawyers on speed dial for that one. No, no. I just, it, I mean, I was looking at the photos of the line and yeah. it was just sort of like, can we just continue this over at the emergency room? Cause I'm, I'm pretty sure. We can do this sure. outside. Yeah. We can do this yeah. outside. And we actually had some of the food outdoors on the open air patio 
Totally, and it was delicious. I had the right. the tacos. They were they were great. We had the sushi, also fantastic. Yeah, nothing was uh, nothing was bad. So that's good. Just, it was crowded. It was thick, and uh, the people that were hanging out based on their tweets were hanging out for hours. And uh, we we were in and out. Yeah. I got my drinks and got some good pictures and some good video. And bless the bartenders, they mm-hmm. full show, you know, full force show again. So uh, they did mention. Rosie, shout out to Rosie. She was awesome at the door. She kept it calm. Um, we put our names on about two o'clock and we didn't get in until six. And right now they're doing the virtual queue where they text you back like Gideon's. Mm-hmm. Um, but they did mention that they're trying to implement the system that Oka's uses where um, you'll make a reservation online yeah. and you don't have to actually go. And then they will kick you out after a set amount of time like Oga's, like 45 minutes or whatever it is. So they you know, other people can get in because it's approximately the size of my closet. So yeah. yeah. Also, the uh, the Epcot monorail has reopened. Christy, you've been on. It? I have. And? I went yesterday. So happy to be back. But that construction is, you know, you don't want everybody looking in your backyard. But <laughs> there are just look the other way. It'll go better. Just just look to the left when you're uh, on, the, on the monorail. <laughs> go, to, go to Trader Sam's first. Have your drink. It's going to matter. It's fine. Fair enough. There is a, a ton of construction going on in the middle of Epcot still. And thanks to our friend Bio Reconstruct, you can see some of the work that they're doing for the, uh, was it the Journey of Water Moana uh, mm-hmm. thing? Yeah, that looks good. It's, it actually looks to be bigger than I anticipated. I thought this was going to be like, mm-hmm. you know, 20 square feet or whatever. It's going to be a, this could be a thing. I want to say there are at least five separate experiencers, story points that you're going to encounter as you move through this space. Excellent. Yeah, so that looks uh, good. Also, Jim, in terms of closings, we got official closing dates on Epcot Forever. Its last date is September 28th, being replaced by Harmonious on October 1st. Not a surprise at all, Jim. We've known this literally since the day that Epcot Forever. We, we, knew, that, we knew that when Epcot Forever was announced that its last day would be some October first right or the day before october 1st or whatever we just didn't know what year at the time right there we go yeah the other thing that disney confirmed is that happily ever after will have its last performance on september 29th 2021 so jim we said on the show a while back that this was going to happen and i want to clarify we had absolutely no special knowledge that this was true completely a lucky guess on our part i will say however that you have not picked up my lottery numbers for this week (laughs) soon jim soon also, the other big news, Jim, and I want to get your take on this. Disney Imagineering announced moving 2,000 people from Glendale to Lake Nona, which is in Orlando and just south of the airport. What are your thoughts on that? Do you remember back in, in 1995 when Disney bought ABC Cap Cities? Yeah. At one point, ABC was headquartered in New York and the Walt Disney Company is located in Burbank. And at, at some point, Michael Eisner just got tired of, you know, the notion, you know, it's just I don't want to fly to L.A. to have meetings about what we're doing with the network. Let's move the talent. Let's move the brain trust out to Burbank. In fact, they, they built the, the ABC headquarters literally right next door to where now the Roy E. Disney building is located for future animation. Mm-hmm. But let me, let me pause here, Jim, by saying that when I'm in New York, I walk by the ABC headquarters almost daily. So <laughs> I, think yeah. we know, I think we know how the story ends, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, there were a bunch of folks in New York who just dug in their heels. Yeah. I am not uprooting my entire family. I'm not taking my kids out of school to go live in California. And th- there was a compromise made. Now, mind you, it's a very small staff that works out of the ABC headquarters right there in Times Square. Yeah. 
But my worry is that there are a lot of other companies that do themed entertainment. And yes, this last year, because of COVID, there were a significant amount of veteran Imagineers who just sort of eyeballed what was going on and it looked how much they had in their retirement account and figured, okay, I was going to do this in a couple of years anyway. I'm retiring now. Yeah. So it's really a younger pool of people, but it's the same situation. With relocating this many people yeah. to the Lake Nona facility, what sort of talent is Disney going to lose out on? This is Bob Chapek's version of the company. And frankly, he looks at the amount of money that Disney makes out of Florida. And yeah. it's like, look, we've got Universal up the street about to turn the key on Epic Universe in two and three years down the line. And it's like, look, we need to have our troops on the ground there because the themed entertainment arms race that's going to get underway after Epic Universe gets going, Disney wants their brightest and best in Florida to be dealing with that. Yeah, I think that's exactly what it is. From you, me, and Chrissy's position, this is a win-win. Imagineering moves its people down to Florida, which means it's no longer a case of, well, what are we going to do in Florida? Well, let me get in a plane and fly out there and walk around. Yeah, and I'm going to spend a day trying to figure out what's going on with the park or two days, you know, instead of, you know, living here and and, and seeing on a day-to-day basis how people enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah, but I am hearing from a lot of folks at Imagineering that they are not happy about this. But at the same time, Bob Iger heads out the door in December. This is Bob Chapek's version of Disney. And this is one of many changes we are seeing being made. We've said for a while that it didn't make sense for the center of Disney's domestic theme park business to be in Orlando and yet have Imagineers virtually all based in Burbank. Didn't make sense, right? Yeah. Disneyland is the world's most famous regional theme park. But... Uh, if you look at simply at the number of visitors, right? More than twice as many people visit Walt Disney World as Disneyland, and they probably stay longer. There are more hotels here, right? This is where this is where Disney's domestic business is, right? So uh, my understanding is though the Imagineers who work directly in Disneyland or who work in the parks in Asia are not moving. No, no. But if you knew the amount of money that the Walt Disney Company has spent over the last 10 to 15 years to create the Glendale Creative Campus, which actually started out around 1401 Flower Street, the headquarters of Disney, it's an astounding amount of money. And then the notion of, and we're taking Imagineering out of there. (laughs) Will this free up any space around the parks in Disneyland for expansion? Are there any Imagineering offices? In Disneyland. It was always a case of, okay, what are we doing for Disneyland? Well, come on, hop on the five. We'll drive, well, yeah. the three hours in traffic yeah. to get down to Anaheim, and then we'll look at the park. Well, that's the thing, too. So Lake Nona's 30 minutes on 417 from from the parks. I mean, you can be there very, very quickly. It's not going to be five hours I-5. Uh, to get and my sense is that many of the families who come will be somewhere between we'll get we'll we'll get housing somewhere between Walt Disney World and Lake Nona. So Lake Nona is yeah. directly east, right by the airport, right? So it'll be within thirty minutes of the of the parks. Imagineering friend I was talking with, it's just the effect of I have a very dumb dog. I don't want to have to treat them about it. It's like, no, that's an alligator. Exactly. <laughs> <It's Yeah>. like, <laughs> don't go over and pee on it. Okay. <laughs> like, There'll be some cultural changes that uh, adaptations that need to happen, right? That's true. And frankly, if In and Out can do burger drops every couple of weeks, I know that, that there are people who are gonna, would really appreciate that. There you go. Care packages so, from home. There you go. All right, so let's do some listener questions. The first question is from Jen, who says, My family, which is me, my husband, our four-year-old son, our six-month-old daughter, and our parents, 
are going to Walt Disney World finally from November 2nd through the 9th. We've had three trips canceled due to COVID-related reasons over the past year. Our anniversary is November 8th, which just so happens to be the first night of Mickey's slightly less merry than normal Christmas party. Ah, we should trademark that. Originally, we're going to have a little date night somewhere on property. We haven't decided exactly what yet. But then we had the thought about the Christmas party. My hesitation is, it's the first night, so will it be packed? I've heard of nightmares with the first night of Christmas Halloween parties in the past. If you don't recommend the first night of the party, do you have any other fun ideas for our anniversary? We're DVC members, annual pass holders, and have been about a thousand times. So something outside the box would be awesome. P.S. Jim, I live in Dracut, just south of Nashua. We're practically neighbors. I can see your house from here. Hey, <laughs> okay, <laughs> through the uh, through the pine forest, Jim. There we go. And my driveway, which has now been totally washed away by the rain. At least you're not getting smoke from the Western uh, wildfires yet. True. Very true. All right. So the first night will almost definitely sell out, Jen. First night and last night of the Halloween parties has already sold out. And I think the dates around them have also sold out. So I would I would guarantee that the November 8th date is going to sell out. So if you don't want to do the crowds, here are some ideas. And I based this one off of something that Christy and I did. This past weekend, uh, I'm suggesting dinner at Citrico's. Yes. And then ask for a couple of drinks to go. And then you should stroll the grounds of the Grand Flow and the Poly. Maybe stop for fireworks at the Poly. And if you want to get really crazy, if you can get points or a cheap room at the Poly for that night, do it. I know it's a separate hotel reservation and it costs more money, but you will thank me later. And some conversation ideas that you can have with your significant other as you're doing this walk. Uh, Imagine you're going to build another hotel on the Seven Seas Lagoon. Where do you put it and what's the theme and how would it impact the views from the other resorts? Or where would you put the Polynesian DVC tower? Mm. Actually, actual conversations that Laurel and I had walking between the Poly and the Grand Floridian earlier this week. So, Chrissy, you mentioned, uh, we, uh, we mentioned that we were at Citrico's. You want to do a quick uh, recap of how that was? Outstanding. But, okay, it's not just the food, right? It's an experience. If you're going to spend as much as Len did, Granted, you ordered every single thing. We ordered almost everything on the menu for three people. <laughs> so which you, you don't have to do uh, and Two steaks because they're not going to do steaks poorly. We already knew the steaks were going to be great. Yeah. Right? And That's I think it was the salad we didn't order with, I think it was the, the Caesar. Uh, it was like the house. Yeah, the house, it wasn't. Yeah. A salad, yeah, it wasn't it, yeah, it was fine. I'm sure it was lovely. But there were only three things on the whole menu that we didn't order. Yeah. It's really important to note. I heard, I read a lot of like, sort of trite things about the Mary Poppins overlay. It's so much deeper than that. And it's so much more thoughtful from, if you really take your time and look, when you first walk in, they really set the stage and they tell you this, you know, but you're so excited to get to the chocolate tort. Maybe you don't pay attention, but which wasn't my favorite. Yes. And I know you and I are going to have trauma on that forever. <laughs> it was outstanding. It's not my favorite, but they, the beginning of the lounge area, which is not yet open, but the bar is, you don't need restaurants. Dress code does not apply at the bar. You don't, but need, the you don't need reservations. Correct. At the bar, the lounge is not yet open, but at the bar, there's nine seats. Two of them are lower um, in case you're in a scooter or you're not able to hop up on the big bar seats. Anyway, the, the chair backs had this really playful little lace-up tie, sort of like a corset, okay, which is, to me symbolized the beginning of the evening. You're getting ready. You're preparing. The lighting also is more utilitarian than romantic, okay? It's, it's just plain lighting. Then you move into the main dining area, which is right in the hustle and bustle. You're directly across from the open kitchen. You know, that's the party of the night. And then you move into the 
um, the upholstery there is like these ice blues and ice greens and it's like evening gowns. They have ruffles on them and it's just really beautiful, right? And the lighting is a little more muted, but still happy and cheerful. There's definitely the energies in the center of the room. And then to where we were, which is the main room that was supposed to symbolize a London night sky, right? And so that's after you've had. Let, your- let, me, let me pause here. I didn't get any of this. So go up to Well, I said that you didn't. I thought we were having the same experience. <laughs> we, we were there for the exact same amount of time. time. I got no- Dude, I don't know what you were doing, but I was. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so the room at the end has these spectacular chandeliers that look like the moon and the stars. The lighting, the the windows are these huge floor to ceiling arches, right? They've always been there. The windows aren't, but the, the chandelier and then the upholstery are these deeper jewel tones and leather and very plush seat backs and booths and things. And we were joking about it with someone there and we were laughing about how we're going to come back in six months and see what kind of damage uh, children have done. Cause I know my child would have been wiping her hands on that upholstery. But <laughs> for now it is immaculate and yeah. gorgeous. And then you see the fireworks on one side and you see the water pageant on the other. Yeah, that was fun. Just the atmosphere and the Mary Poppins, carpet bag is there and the umbrella with the talking parrot handles in the private wine room. Can't wait to try that. And the waiters, you know. Wait stuff was excellent. Yeah. No, I mean the little penguins. I was oh, God. So fun. I mean, just the, and I, Mary Poppins is not my favorite movie, but I, I appreciate a subtle nod over the Incredibles and the contemporary, which I haven't seen. And so I'm not, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. reserved. I haven't seen it. I will say the the theming was was very restrained. Uh, And if you weren't looking specifically for it, you would have missed all of it. Well, I wasn't. I mean, I, that's my job. So I, I do look around and I try to pay attention, but more important than all of that, the food is just, it's the best nod to the old Citrico's with the, the really heavy, well done citrus flavors and, just spectacular. I mean, we were arguing at the table about our top three of everything, like having a legitimate argument. Yeah, I'll say I'll say right at the, the the top. Nothing was bad that we ordered. Like, oh no, my everything God. everything was properly cooked. Everything was presented well. Everything tasted uh, right. What were your top two appetizers? The pork belly. I know everybody's sick of seeing pork belly. This is not the same. This is not the same thing. I, I personally never get tired of pork belly, but the, uh, the plantains. It came with a fried plantain, right? It was so beautiful and and enough. Like when you look at it, uh, there were a few dishes that were like basically Thanksgiving dinner, but you know, it's one slice, a hefty slice of pork belly, and then there's the plantain, but more than enough for the three of us, also considering you ordered everything. Um, that was my favorite. And then the... Probably the hamachi. You like the uh, hamachi. This is the one thing that I, I thought was a little. So this was a um, uh, raw hamachi in a blood orange. Was it so glaze sauce? And I, I thought would say sauce is fair. I thought, and the the for me the the, the blood orange um, was a little too tart for the fish. No such thing. Okay, there's no such thing. But but to your point, it was a nod to the old citricos, right? So remember the Jim. Right. The, remember the when when citricos first opened, the idea was that it featured Florida citrus, right? The hence oh, the yeah. name, right? Okay. And the interesting thing that Chrissy noticed 
was that at each point on the menu, in each category, there was something that was a shout out. And they didn't, they didn't say it on the menu, but if you knew the history of the, the restaurant, you could see here's something citrus-based in each category of the menu that was a nod back to the history of the restaurant. That's a smart play. I mean, it if was. you think about the Grand Floridian Resort and Spa, it's been around since 88. You know, yeah. You've got to have people who have been going there for decades. Yeah. So Good point. It's just the fact that they revisited the restaurant. They still have the new Mary Poppins stuff, but they had, there's still these touchstones on the menu. So they could, if they want, replicate their earlier experience. Yeah, you oh, could do that's it. That's a smart play. That's a really good point. We probably should have mentioned that. So, the strawberry salad, too. Yeah, that was, was, that was my number one. Just that. So this was the recommendation from uh, someone on the staff of the restaurant, uh, go with the strawberry salad. So this was uh, with a chamomile tea-infused goat cheese with a frizzy salad and then some, I don't know if they were marinated, I, I'm guessing they were marinated strawberries mm-hmm. um, that was delicious, super sweet. The sweetness though paired well with the slight tanginess of the goat cheese. That went, mm-hmm. The other thing I really liked was the sweet corn bisque, which is a soup. Oh, yeah. And it came with, was it fennel and dill? And then- it was pickled fennel, yeah, and, and popcorn, which to me was popcorn. not important. But l- let's real quick back to the strawberry salad. The important thing to note on that, if you're looking at the Mary Poppins, is they have the tea-infused goat cheese. Right, like tea. They give that. It's not over the head. You really have to be into the theme. You have to really be – it's an experience. If you're going to go there and you're going to spend that kind of money – it's an experience, right? So, yeah, and the, the berries weren't macerated, but I would say they were. They were marinated. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't. They didn't break it down all the way. It was really good, though. All right. What was your favorite uh, entree? The corn bisque I would get just for the drama. Also, the fennel. Oh, they, they, they pour it for you there, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> Worth it. It was so good. Entree. <laughs> I said this, and I I would order any of it again. It's I have two, so I have the rigatoni, which is plant based, which was ridiculous house made house made pasta they do it in-house handmade pasta it was uh seasonal vegetables um hen of the woods roasted mushrooms semolina it was like a mixture it wasn't full semolina um it was a mixture of like a a plain strong flour and a semolina because it still had that too so good but my favorite that i would go back just for this was the chicken Oh yeah, and this was so the uh, roulade of chicken, which was uh, chicken breast rolled up, yeah, in a wheel. Um, but then they, Jim, they they covered it with chicken skin, so you got a little bit of the crispiness of the skin, you got the juiciness of the meat, and then you got you know like between the skin and the meat, there's that super thin layer of fat, and it was all there. It was just fantastic. Chrissy and I are the ones at Thanksgiving who will fight over turkey skin. <laughs> But this was this was amazing. I never thought over kale before, but I would fight for yeah, this. Yeah, came with a braised kale, a romesco sauce, and roasted turnips, which I didn't, so I didn't recognize them. Good. Yeah, yeah, but you might at the end. Yeah, that was uh, that was I think everyone's number one. And then for desserts, what was your favorite dessert? <laughs> well, I've never said these words, but the flan was my favorite. It was yeah. more of a creme brulee, but it was it it was orange. It was. It was the least mm, stunning. Blood, blood orange gelée, uh, orange scented shortbread, and orange blossom honey drizzle fruit. So again, call back out to the original Citrico's menu. Also, thirteen dollars for that was value. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you don't don't really say that at Disney signature restaurants very often, but I thought this no. was this was ex- extremely well thought out in terms of the texture, in terms so of the flavors. Awesome. 
in terms of the balance, I thought this one was really, really good. Yeah. Agreed. And then at the end, um, so I think we say this. So Israel, who is the former manager of Victorian Alberts, but Victorian Alberts isn't open, is the current manager of Citricurs right now. Just keep over from, from um, Topolino's. At the end of the meal, they give you a couple boxes of desserts to go. And that is directly from Victorian Alberts. So that's a that's the V&A signature move is to give you desserts to go. And what were they? There truffles. There was like a cherry and then I think a raspberry. Yeah, two boxes, two truffles each. So lovely. Yeah. So, you know, if uh, if your significant other happens to head to the restroom at this point, it's four for you. You don't know nothing. <laughs> you what? I don't know. Put it in your bag. You know how those bloggers are. They don't know anything about anything. Yeah. At the very start of this question, we were somebody asking about their anniversary. Yeah. So, hey, folks, so, you guys are really helping out here. Exactly. Yeah, we're doing great. With this caveat, get get the all the dessert. <laughs> if you can't, if that's not in the budget, get the orange blossom. But then also, just for the drama, get the chocolate tort. I've never said these words. It's too sweet to eat the whole thing. See, I don't even understand what that means in English. It, it is stunning. Absolutely yeah. stunning. Actually, they... Tell me about the the pattern that they do in cocoa powder on the plate. It matches the iron fence behind you, the leaf pattern. And it really, to me, and this may be taking my romantic notions about Citricos too far, but it symbolizes, to me, it is the perfect English garden. It's like organized chaos. That's fair. The ruffled chocolate on top. I have tried a thousand times and it's impossible to get right. Absolutely perfect. It looks like a gorgeous carnation. You know, it's a little bit crazy looking, but then you have the pattern of the rose. That's the most immaculate cocoa I've ever seen. Yeah. I mean, there was not a smudge on it. I actually thought it was a, um, it was a piece of paper on the plate. No, it's just an outstanding example of stencil and cocoa. Yeah. (laughs) Outstanding. Yeah, that was really good. I mean, the whole kitchen, I mean, the pastry team was was on point, but the whole (laughs) kitchen all night was really, really good. Outrageous. Yeah, I thought that was was one of the best meals I've had in Maltese World in a long time. A hundred percent. All right, uh, Jim, let's do a second question then. Uh, this one's from Ryan. Uh, I have one day allotted for Walt Disney World in October where I'm park hopping between Epcot and Disney's Hollywood Studios. I want to do the studios during the day and then Epcot at night so I can see a performance of Harmonious. Do you know whether Ratatouille will be using boarding groups when it opens like Rise of the Resistance? Because if it does, I'll have to be there during the morning in order to secure a ride. So do you know if this attraction will be using a standby queue or is this all still up in the air? Jim, any ideas? I know that Disney wants to make more use of, you know, the, the, the virtual queues, virtual queuing system. The problem is, at least with Ratatouille, this is a clone of the ride that was previously built for Walt Disney Studios Park in Paris. And it just does not operate that way. I mean, and right. more to the to the effect, if you look at the physical setup where you're walking basically around the previous version of the France Pavilion, they've already created a fairly elaborate queue space back there. Right. I think with this launching, with the 50th anniversary... The virtual queuing system doesn't have necessarily the greatest press. Yeah. The company just wants to launch this and people be happy. And it, it seemed not to be a, oh, you know, well, you know, you weren't smart enough to get in the virtual queue. Yeah. It's not going to be the, uh, it's not going to be the thing. Right. So remember the virtual queue at Rise of the Resistance mm-hmm. is there for two reasons. One, mm-hmm. um, the ride breaks down too often to yes. uh, give a particular time slot to anyone. And the second reason is, is that Bob Chapik, famously criticized Universal Orlando's Hagrid's Coaster for having a 10-hour standby, 
So there can be no 10-hour standby at Rise of the Resistance. Because if they remove that restriction, if they allowed a standby line, the line would be 10 hours long or, you know, close to it. Um, and the reason why they require you to have a uh, reservation for Hollywood Studios to make a Rise of the Resistance uh, boarding group request is because of that limited capacity, because of those constraints, they don't want people to not show up if they make the reservation. So the way to do that is to require them to have a park reservation. My sense is that that is a huge guest dissatisfier, especially people who um, do not have park hopper tickets and who uh, can't get a boarding group for Rise of the Resistance, you're basically, you've wasted a day at the studios because you can get done in six hours or whatever. I, I would be extremely surprised, uh, Ryan, if Disney also required you to make Epcot your first park for Ratatouille. I would be extremely surprised if that happened. What's also verifies what Len is saying is last year when they were doing the actual physical testing of the Ratatouille ride. It's been so long. Yeah, early, it was early. It was late uh, 2019. Or, uh, sorry, late 2020, early 2021. Yeah. Yeah, that, that weren't you saying that that they were more reliable than the test track? Yeah, so that, that's part. a good point. We've actually looked at um, we have the downtime reports. So we're getting them, you know, when they do Remy's testing, and it was one of the most reliable rides in Epcot. And this was one of the reasons, Jim, why we couldn't figure out why it wasn't being opened. Right when you Epcot needs things to do, it needs capacity, and to hold this off until October first is literally just for marketing and financial reasons. This has nothing to do with guest experience. Here's another uh, listener question from Ezra, uh, who says, Jim mentioned that uh, Disney probably won't start paid fast passes until after the 50th anniversary celebration. My question is, will there be no fast pass at all until then? Or will they bring back fast pass plus temporarily until they bring in the new paid version of fast pass? I'm going in February of 2021. So I'd like to know what will be available at that time. So uh, real quick, the 50th anniversary gym starts in October. So Ezra, you will be traveling during the celebration. Jim, I would be... I know that they've recently started turning on the fast pass kiosks in the park again. I will be surprised if they bring back traditional fast pass in the interim before they go to a paid version. And if they go to a paid version, if they do bring back fast pass for free, then whatever the next version, the paid version is, it's not going to be called fast pass because there's a marketing problem of giving something away for free and then charging money for it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what do you think? What I've been hearing from friends in guest service is that every guest who comes through the door and registers a complaint about when are the live shows coming back? When are the, you know, character readings coming every, back? When is Fast Pass coming back? When is the dining plan coming back? Yeah. And that's it exactly. Everything is being logged, everything is being kept track of. And there's a certain inflection point. We're not getting as many complaints about one of the meet and greets coming back versus Fast Pass, that sort of thing. Yeah. So, all of this coupled with the fact that they are still having considerable challenges getting enough folks back to staff things. Yeah. This will be addressed going forward. But for right now, they've kicked the can down the road. Yeah. It's like, look, that's not something we need to deal with right now. People are relatively happy that, hey, the live shows are coming back. That sort of thing. The Disney theme park experience that they know from vacationing in Florida for decades is more familiar to them now. Yeah. Six months from now when you know everything is back up and running and things are back at full capacity, yeah, suddenly you, people might get that much more vocal about Fast Pass and they might have to address that. But for now, you know, this really isn't a priority. Yeah, I've, uh, the last I heard, which is a couple of weeks ago, is that no decision had been made about 
any of it. I mean, they have a general idea of what they want to do, but the combinations of options that they have is fairly large and no one has, uh, has figured out a, a timeline for, uh, for anything yet. They do want some breathing space between you used to get FastPass for free to, hey, you're paying for premium access. Exactly. Which, by the way, is not the name. No. Yeah, no. Just saying that. So, All right. Last question from Kelly, and it's related. I've been seeing photos of lines stretching far beyond their queues at Walt Disney World. For instance, Rock and Roller Coaster starts in front of Rosie's, and Tower of Terror starting at Beauty and the Beast, and Slinky starting at One Man's Dream. However, the wait times hardly seem longer than they were pre-COVID. Is this a product of modern queues not being large enough to hold a larger portion of standby guests since FastPass is not in operation? With paid FastPass on the horizon, will we, will we be seeing similar situations if fewer people pay for FastPasses than were previously in circulation under the free program? With FastPasses being the go-to guest recovery method too, do you think they'll continue to hand them out? Thanks to you and Jim for all the wonderful content and analysis. All right, Jim. So let's start with the last question first. When... FastPass comes back, paid version, free version, whatever. Uh, will it be the go-to guest recovery method for Disney? Guests have been consistently asking about when do we get FaceTime again with characters? When do we get the meet and greets? That may actually be the guest compensator. They're like, oh, I'm so sorry that you're disappointed with your experience, but would you like to meet Mickey? <laughs> go, go around the corner, ask for Nick. <laughs> yeah. What's been fascinating, at least for me, with them rolling out, hey, have you seen our 50th anniversary statues or the costumes yeah. that the characters are making? Though the 50th anniversary specific costume they're creating for the walk around characters. Yep. Yeah. The, the belief is that at least for a time, that'll be a guest satisfier. On the other hand, when you turn the key on the frozen summer hoose again, and, you know, that becomes a situation, well, what do you do? Do you hold back one of the three rooms deliberately for angry guests? For recovery, yeah. There we go. It's a strange situation. To, uh, to answer Kelly's first question, um, yeah, I think pretty much any ride that has been designed since the year 2000 probably has a relatively short, shorter um, standby queue because the FastPass queue was getting 80% of the guests. So roughly 20% of the guests were in the standby queue. So if things continue like this, where most guests go through the standby queue, yeah, some reconfiguration is going to happen there. And you know, we, we see this in a couple of different ways. We've talked in this show in the past about how the posted wait time for rides with long outdoor queues, things like Big Thunder Mountain, things like Haunted Mansion, those are consistently being overstated by Disney. The standby wait times have been consistently overrated. Overstated, And the reason is, is they don't want more people standing in those makeshift queues around the park. It impedes walking. It's a pain to manage. Uh, people get confused. And there's a lot of people out in the hot sun. Like just nothing nothing good comes from these, uh, these makeshift queues. So uh, I do think that if, um, if we go to a paid FastPass system, there will be fewer people that use them. It's going to come down to a couple of things. One, the price that Disney charges. For the fast passes, like if you know if it's five dollars to ride Seven Doors Mine Train with a hundred and twenty minute wait, we're going to basically have the old fast pass system, right? Where most people use the fast pass line. If it's a situation where a fast pass is twenty five dollars per person, you know, where it's a hundred dollars to skip the line for a family of four at Seven Doors Mine Train, I don't think the uptake will be as much, and you'll have something that looks more like what we have now. So that it really depends on the price point there. I don't think Disney is as concerned about the allocation of fast passes, paid fast passes, 
to stand by because I think they're going to use the cost of those things to manage that distribution. Talking with a lot of Imagineers this past week about the Lake Nona relocation, the topic of you know what's going on with FastPass and paying for access and that sort of thing, and they're just like, if you knew the amount of money we spent to build FastPass queues or to retrofit, oh, yeah, yeah. how many times have we talked about the business model for Disney bent built on how many years it takes to recover the cost of, of doing these things. Yeah. And the fact that you built these things that now you're not going to use. And you have these standby queues that were built on the, well, 80% are going through that thing. Yep, so we don't exactly. Have- yeah. And they made the assumptions right when they built it. Cause that's, and that don't get me wrong. That's the assumption everyone would have made, yeah. you know, like if you're building around 2010, you're what, 10, 12 years into large scale fast pass use you assume that that's going to be the thing going forward and you build it so that 80% of the the line is the fast pass queue and 20% of the line is the standby. Cause that's, yeah. that's the way it was going to be. Yeah. People loved it. And that's what the series told them. So yeah. you, you build with confidence and now we're here. So it's like, eef. it's me a very interesting uh, next set of design decisions that, uh, that Disney makes around uh, new attractions. It's just so funny that in particular, a couple of folks I'm talking with are associated with the Play Pavilion project, the reimagining of the, the, the Wonders of Life building. And it's like, what's, what's so wonderful about this is it's all projected. It's all temporary. You know, and it's just like, you know, no seal, no concrete. Yeah. Happy to live in this space. And I don't want to be the person who has to decide, put $30 million worth of steel and concrete in the ground. And, oh, hey, you have to change that now. Which is exactly, exactly. Yeah. I mean, more projection stuff is fine for that Mm -hmm. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, Jim gives us a brief history of Epcot's food and wine event. And Christina comes on to talk about the best things to eat at this year's festival. We'll be right back. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The Epcot International Food and Wine Festival began this last about uh, ten days ago. Now the the twenty the sorry the fifteenth. Today's the twenty sixth, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And it lasts this year for a third of the year, more than a third of the year. <laughs> yeah, a hundred and twenty nine days. I need to give a, a quick shout out here to our listener Ben, who created the website is EpcotHavingAFestival.com. <laughs> Which shows accurately, I might add, that Epcot is indeed having a festival. Yeah, it's all right. There we go. I remember when the wine event at Walt Disney World literally ran two days. And in regard to the food component, which we'll be talking about in a moment, for this event, all there were teeny tiny little cubes of cheese and thin slices of French bread. That was it. But of course, this was for the Walt Disney World village wine event and uh, you know that wasn't held inside of theme park it was held in front of the conference center which is adjacent to the shopping village were they were they trying to hide it jim it was kind of bearing needle the opposite direction if you think back to when the lake winter vista shopping village opened 
in March of 75. If you were a member of the Witness Protection Program, this was a great place to hang out because <laughs> nobody was going. They tried to hit that Venn diagram of creating a shopping and entertainment complex that would appeal to locals and likewise people who were visiting Walt Disney World. Appealed to none of them. None of them. Nobody showed up. All right. So May of 71. All right. Let's relaunch. Let's rebrand. So at this point, the Lake Buena Vista shopping village becomes the Walt Disney World Village. And please note, the word shopping also goes to, to live with the Witness Protection Program. Okay. Likewise, this is also where this is during the same period with Empress Lily is built. You know, oh, the steam boat. There we go. Okay. This paddlefish now. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, but, but again, with the notion that we need to get the Disney name in there because people just weren't associating it with Disney. But this doesn't really work either. So Disney corporates like, do whatever you have to get people to go there. Suddenly they start instituting a program where one weekend there's a boat show, one weekend there's an art show. And then starting in 79, there were wine tastings. Oh, because wine was having a resurgence in the 70s. Uh, with, it, it was. Yeah, California it, wines became a thing. Uh, Orson did. Welles did his famous Robert Mondavi commercials. Yeah, okay. We will sell no wine before our time. Do you yes. know he was lit during that in, that entire uh, shooting? <laughs> there are a couple of places you could go to see the outtakes. And oh, yeah, yeah. they're genius. Yeah, yeah. yeah, just lure Orson back into position. Hold the fish in front of him. Come on, come on, come on. <laughs> exactly, exactly. To be honest, the wine tastings worked largely because mommy and daddy have taken the kids to Walt Disney World. And after a very long day, you know, it's like there is no place in the Magic Kingdom to get a drink. Right. You have to go back to your hotel or, oh, hey, we're shopping. And look, there's a place to drink. Let's go there. Let's go. That's the thing with Empress Lily. It's like everyone thinks, oh, yeah, the, re- the restaurant inside of the steamboat. It's like, no, many lounges, many bars. Many bars, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, because dad needed to get away and regroup. So the wine thing is working. So in 1982, eight months before Epcot Center opens, we got our very first wine festival at the Walt Disney World Village. Held in January. January. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Two and a half day long affair. Starts off with a, on Friday night with a winemaker's reception. Then on Saturday, there's a grand tasting. Again, that's all where all those little cubes of cheese and bread came in to clear your palate. And then on Sunday, if you really wanted to learn more about the winemaking process or expand your knowledge of the various varieties, they have three hour long informational sessions. And by the way, Open to any guest who's visiting the Walt Disney World Resort, like always Orlando locals. If you wanted to take part, all you had to do was walk up to the guest services desk and buy a ticket. Or, and I love this, you went to the on-site liquor store. It was called Village Spiritsland. Dedicated <laughs> liquor store right there in the shopping village. How Get is that just- not the name of a bar in Liberty Square? I don't know what to tell you. I just I just love the notion of while well, the rest of the family is looking at a mountain of plush, you're in there getting the, the peppermint schnapps. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so first one festival, enough of a success that they bring it back, you know, in 83, 84. Okay. I think you would have particularly enjoyed the 1985 version, Len, because the wine that got the most attention at this event uh, had been created by a vineyard out of St. Augustine, Florida. Uh, 100% orange. Orange. Yes, and it is a quote from one story about the, uh, you know, this wine is citrus, 100% orange. Just look at that pulp. And yet again, there's a word you want to hear associated with. Pulp. Pulp. I wonder, was the vineyard that created this in St. Augustine, was it anywhere near the state prison? Because when I hear of like wine made with unusual things, 
I, I think of prison ingenuity. All right. Anyway, probably not the marketing thing that they wanted to go with. And during this period, we see the event expand from two and a half days to four. Okay. But it never catches on, really. I mean, it never catches fire. And there are folks within the mouse house who believe it's the location. It's the bland, stuck in the 1970s, like Minerva Vista Conference Center that's yeah. holding it back. So in the early 1990s, Walt Disney was experimenting said, okay, let's stage it someplace else and see if on property and see what happens. So one year they do it at Fort Wilderness. In fact, this is the year they persuade Fess Parker, the, the gentleman who played Davy Crockett in the, the Disney television show, to fly out from Santa Barbara so he can then showcase the wines that he makes at his own vineyard. In okay. fact, they staged that part of the event at Crockett's Tavern. Okay. In 1993, they used the conference center at the the Yacht and Beach Club, and you know they get 80 winemakers to go in there. But again, it's just not growing. It's just, you know, it's the same folks coming back year after year. And so it's 1994, and the company is seriously thinking about, okay, we tried. We tried to do a wine event. It's not working. Maybe we should pull the plug. But mm -hmm. then in April of 1994, the very first Flower and Garden Festival is held at Epcot. Five-week-long event. Hugely successful. And George Calagridis, who was running Epcot Center at the time, mm -hmm. immediately, like, you know, I mean, I think they're like two or three days in. It's like, oh, yeah, we're doing this next year. Call the horticultural people and they have them start ordering stuff now you know, with the growers because this is coming back bigger and better next year. Get the burpee seed people on the phone. I get it. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> All, all right. right. Uh, but at the same time, George is like, all right, cool. We got one of these. You know, they, can what I get a what else can we do? He's basically Mr. Burns at this point saying, yes, no. yes. That's exactly. Yeah. So he goes to Walt Disney World Management. It's like, look, I know you're frustrated with the wine event, but I think I know how to fix this. What we need to do to make this exciting, to you know, get people to you know, really embrace this thing, we need to start staging it inside a theme park, specifically Epcot. And George pointed out, look, it's not a stretch. You know, the restaurants inside of Epcot already serve alcohol right. versus the Magic Kingdom. So staging a wine event that celebrates wine here, not really a stretch. We do this, we do this big. You come through the turnstiles. And the very th first thing you see in that giant planter is something, you know, a marquee that celebrates that food and wine is going on here. Think about it. You are at that point, what, a quarter of a mile away, actually, from the event. Oh, more than, yeah. It, quarter mile easy, yeah. Yeah, because it's all basically being staged around World Shrug Castle Good. Yeah, but yeah. no, you're coming through the gate. It's like, hey, you're here for food and wine. Wow. The notion of you're going to spend all this money on something that really isn't involved with the food or the wine. The food element, we cannot just limit ourselves to the pre-existing restaurants that, uh, you know, around right. World Trail Case Lagoon. Right. We need to build temporary kitchens. And more to the point, we need to bring in countries that are not in, you know, in fact, for the, the inaugural year of food and wine. And is that for is that for locals? Like that they're like, here's something you haven't seen before? That's it, exactly. Okay, all right. The idea was that, especially when you consider that Flowering Garden is presented in the spring, mm -hmm. and frankly, they were looking for ways to bring people back to Walt Disney World in the fall. Harvest festivals, yes. All right, yeah. Yeah, all right. So they set up, you know, inaugural year, they get additional temporary kitchens set up for Sweden, Thailand, Poland, India, and Chile. And also, it was one of these things where it's like, look, you need to have a conversation with security because we are going to actively encourage people to walk around World Showcase with a glass of wine in their hand. Yeah. And, and the previous attitude was you can drink inside the restaurant, 
Yeah. But when you finish, I'm sorry, you're going to have to dispose. You're going to have to chug that uh, Ernest and Julia yeah. Gallo before you leave the Italy Pavilion, sir. Yeah, yeah. 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 This is back when you could get it, admission to Epcot for, for a full day for $40.81. But he's like, <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> a has gone by, Len. But he, he was like, price point for all of these food items, they can't get one dollar, maybe as high as two, but that's it. So that's 5% of $40, right? Okay, so 5% of current admission would be 6 to $7? That's about right. Okay, all right. There you go. All it's right, scans. It scans. George turned to management and said, look, I get it. We are spending a lot of money up front, whether it's this marquee thing that we're going to do in the planner in front of yeah, Spaceship Earth. we like, build these, pavil- uh, these little kiosks that have to look themed. Yeah. But it's like we'll lean heavily into the foodies. You know, yeah. For example, to get that money back – nightly upstairs in the Norway pavilion, in the Norway room, or excuse me, the Norway club, will do a winemaker's dinner. The foodies will pay $75 a piece. I mean, think about it. That's more than, you know, one and a half times what they paid to get into the park. But, you know, this amazing dinner and we'll have that as a revenue stream. So, okay, let's see what happens. So they turn the key. The, the very first food and wine launches in September 28th, 1996. It's only 30 days long, but it's an absolute smash hit line. Mm. Now, the folks over at the shopping village are like, great. Okay, yeah, so great. That's lovely. <laughs> you know, what do we get for the event that we nursed since 1979? Yeah. That, that you, did, you didn't give us this kind of money to, uh, to succeed mm. over here. What, uh, what's our yeah. consolation prize? All right. And 1997 is when we see the rebranding of Walt Disney World Shopping Village into downtown Disney. Not only that, we see the 66-acre expansion into the along the western shore of, you know, West Lake Pointe Vista. Yeah. yeah, there we go. But that really didn't fix the problem either. Yeah. So jump ahead to 2013. The company announces we're going to rebrand our shopping district in Lake Pointe Vista yet again. Now we're going to reimagine it as this faux small Florida town with four distinct neighborhoods. And that's where Disney Springs comes from. Well, the from. interesting thing, though, about about the the success of Disney Springs or when they converted from downtown Disney to Disney Springs, they made food the centerpiece of Disney Springs. Like the, if you think about Disney Springs, mm-hmm. everyone thinks about the restaurants first and the shopping is a distant second. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I remember when, uh, what was it, Wine Bar George yeah. opened and how enthusiastic you were about that place. You yeah. know, the fact that, that, you know, you go there and, you know, that, that you know. Small, that, that, small and, plates, tapas menus, tons of wine. Yeah, yeah. You go to Wine Bar George, you can have food and wine festival 365 days a year. Whereas yeah. if you go to Epcot, well, it's only what, a third of the year? <laughs> 130 some days. Yeah, yeah. They're actually yeah. bumping up against the, uh, the the festivals are running so long. They're bumping up against Florida laws that require temporary restaurants to only run a certain number of consecutive days. I did not know yeah, that. Yeah, that's why that's why it uh, that's why it shuts down when it shuts down. Like I don't think they can go more than a couple of days longer um, than that. But yeah, Wine Bar George is fantastic. It's actually one of the highest rated restaurants in Walt Disney World, and uh, definitely one of the highest rated in uh, in Disney Springs. Uh, Co figure. Well, anyway, all right. So that's how we got to where we are today. So now I want to hear what Chrissy loved while she was walking around World Showcase. Right. You know, that what what jumped out at her this year. All right, Chrissy. So uh, welcome back into the uh, to the show. And I met you yesterday, actually, at Epcot. You were just finishing up some other research around uh, food and wine. So why don't you tell us what uh, what you're doing over there? 
Well, that's what we call uh, research is what we call it. When no, we hold spend. on. Wait, hold on. Wait, I'm, I'm writing this down. Don't go fast. Uh, is what we call uh, when we spend $600 on our corporate cards on <laughs> food, uh, no liquor even. That wasn't even the drinks. That's new research to come. So we took a very focused approach this year because the place is just lousy with bloggers, right? Everybody's got a stabilizer on the first day. And there are other blogs that do that, do that aspect, maybe uh, differently, better, whatever than us. We're touring plans. So we sat down and went back to 2015 and did a color-coded Excel spreadsheet to track every single item since 2015. We wanted to focus on a couple of things. What was new? Um, especially the gluten-friendly and the plant-based. Disney's, you know, slow to the game, doing so much better. Uh, We wanted to look at uh, something that our our readers ask for and our subscribers ask for is um, kid-friendly stuff. Because, you know, mom and dad, like Jim alluded to, mom and dad need a cocktail at the end of the day, but if the kid's still outrageously unhappy, it yeah. You know, it's gonna need to be a double or a triple, and those are expensive. So <laughs> start to get too much. Yeah. You know, it's better if the kids are happy, everybody's happy. Um, another thing we really wanted to look at because we are on the face of the sun and it is peak yeah, summer. Because it's, because it's running in July, let's face it. Yeah. Yesterday it said, um, so my phone shuts down. Um I saw your my- phone shut down from the heat yesterday. Yeah, yeah, it does. So I bring ice packs and they melt. And then I also bring Ziploc baggies. I do bring a backup iPhone um, that is just for pictures, just in case. So uh, but yesterday, I yesterday when we were in Epcot, in the shade, the heat index was 102 or 103. It was 107 when 107. I checked. Okay, when you checked later. Okay. And when you, when you start walking out in the sun with the pavement that has been baking since basically March – it's, yeah. it's got to be like 115, 120, let's face it. I felt like, like 120. I don't yeah. know. I mean, yeah. I don't know what 120 feels like, but I was melting. It was, it's awful. And I'm, it's just me. And I don't bring Gigi when it's, I don't bring the eight-year-old when it's like that because I don't have the patience and I have to actually work and yeah. we would spend our entire time in the AC. So that was something we also wanted to look at. Are there comfortable places because- With, with air conditioning. Yeah. So yeah. we found that. And then we wanted to know shareable plates. And then just as importantly, we wanted to go back and look at those returning items mm-hmm. that had price increases. I think we had, there were a total of 38 items that had price increases, moderate, but- um, Most of them were like 25 cent price increases, right? There were some that were 75. Most okay. of them were 25. Okay. Um, and some of them were long overdue, like Canada's been you know, pretty stable, but we wanted to go back and see- is this still worth it? Like, would I still spend my five seventy five here or my six dollars here, or are there other options? So okay. um, that's that was our goal, and we did try every single um, item. So it was like, eighty one items on opening day, and that did not include any alcohol. Because legally, I'm required to say all alcohol is good if you are of age. And <laughs> so, eighty one I mean, food items first day. Yep, we do that every time. So uh, my new favorite, I'll say, is the, we'll have two, the Noodle Exchange, which is right across from Starbucks. It's on the west side. Yeah, right before, on the way uh, between um, uh, Imagination and Canada, right? Yes. The Starbucks over there, yeah. Yes, before you get to Canada. didn't You loved it too, didn't you? You I did. And actually, the two things that you're about to recommend are the two things that I would recommend. (sighs) 
so it was like what was it 130 degrees on opening day just yeah. give or take basically they were just uh, they were just taking a cup of water putting it out in the sun <laughs> and boiling it to make the soup it was so and, and we had some lovely friends helping us. Sam um, was out there and then some cast member friends were, um, it's always nice to have help because I'll try one bite. And then if it's, if I don't enjoy it, I will try two to make sure. Yeah. Um, you can't, you can't eat 81 dishes on your own, right? Nevon is on the other side of the park. So there's this pork udon at. The Charsui uh, pork udon, right. Oh my goodness. And it's yeah. an enormous portion. We were fighting over boiling hot soup as we were. It's on our Instagram. It was 100 degrees outside. And we were like, I call dibs on this one. I'm finishing this one. It was just incredible. These are the these are the thicker udon noodles, and it comes with a decent amount of pork on it. But also, did you does yours come with half of the boiled egg? Heck yeah, that was mine though. Yeah. Yeah. $5.50 too. And that is a healthy portion yes. of and noodles. And I did confirm yesterday they will give you an empty bowl in case you have to share it with somebody and, and you don't want to like uh, mix contaminants, you know. Will they also give you a knife so you can shiv someone? <laughs> oh, I carried that on my own. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I forgot. Yeah, you can prepare. bamboo ones about that a while back. So I thought that was delicious. And again, I, I had this and I actually ate it at one of the tables in the direct sunlight where I could- Me too. Where I could I could feel my neck skin shriveling as I was doing it, but Laurel had the um, tofu fa. Also That's my second favorite. Okay, I I thought that was delicious as well. Go ahead. Oh, so well done. It's uh just you know a teeny bit spicy. The broth is right, made right. Yeah, noodles had a little bite to them. Just outrageously wonderful. I would get everything, everything with the exception of the shrimp. And that's with the understanding that I do not enjoy a heavy saffron. If that is your flavor profile, go for it. Very heavy saffron. The shrimp was perfectly cooked. I like mine, you know, call me country, but I like mine a little (laughs) more cooked, but that, that was not my favorite. I probably would not get that one again, but the others were just just, I hope they keep this booth. Yeah, the two that both yeah. the things that you recommended, I would I would definitely have again, even if it's super hot outside. Absolutely. Now, yesterday I went back to the Rotunda Bistro. Have you been the American? Uh, this Adventure? is, this is uh, inside the American Adventure Pavilion. Yeah, have you been? I've not. Go? So I saw the I saw the um, I was there yesterday uh, right before I met you, and I saw the cash registers outside, but I did not oh. go inside and eat. All right, two things: American Adventure. Okay. Um, it, you know, tribute to all nations, but mostly America, sure. all countries, mostly America. Okay. So uh, we are both the very best and the very worst as is true in, in our country. So hops and barley outside, yeah. absolute worst value. Everything shrunk this year. The prices did not, the prices on some things like the lobster roll went up. The lobster is, has all but disappeared. I, I mean, maybe- uh, the lobster roll is eight fifty now. Well, lobster is more expensive this year. Um, anyway, it also but- wasn't good. It was obviously yeah. frozen. It was mealy, not good. Skip it. Don't worry about it. That's Save it. Great. Okay. No, conversely, <laughs> on the other to- hand, <laughs> okay, for real. A few steps away, also <laughs> with AC, and and I will say this: it is the best AC uh, seating out of any of the locations that have AC. Oh, no, no, seating. no. I mean, absolutely. I mean, that dates back to eighty-two. That's industrial strength. Air oh, honey, <laughs> I all but took a nap in there. Okay, so first of all, let's talk about the food. So, yes, you want to go into the rotunda to have your nap, right? Ice cold. I mean, I almost caught a chill. And prior to that, I was close to blacking out, even with my ice packs. 
almost caught a chill, but let's talk about the food. Dear heavens. So they have American strength. It's probably made in China. I don't know where it's made. Refrigerators behind them. And they serve you inside. So the register's outside. You walk in to the right. They serve you. This crab parfait was almost too cold. Crab parfait. Oh, dear heavens. It's crab, very lightly dressed. And the most beautiful avocado does not sound great. It looks really pretty. It has a little dollop, a caviar, you know, as one does. As one does. Oh, my gosh. It was so fresh, icy cold, just I, I was making inappropriate noises. <laughs> I was by myself. <laughs> I normally just, I do, you know, one or two bites. There are very few yeah. things. I've eaten every single thing at every single festival. And I know, I, you know, just if I keep going, I'm not going to make it. And then so, I'm not going to be able to So work. this is a layer of avocado uh, puree, then chilled crab, then avocado, then chilled crab, caviar on top with a, like a micro green garnish, right? In a- well, Nothing, whatever. Throw it crab. That's yeah. not important. The rest of it, the crab is just amazing. Okay, fine. So I was like, all right, surely every just about every booth has something spectacular. Sure. And maybe it was the AC going to my head, the smoked shrimp. I see warning signs when I see smoked because that usually means some sort of chemical enhancement because they're they're producing. Like a, you think like you think like a bottle of the the smoke that comes from a bottle, not the actual. But but, you, but remember though, they've got the they've got the barbecue place, uh, Regal Eagle, right next okay, door. They're busy, dude. That's not what this is. So I saw smoked shrimp, and I was immediately thinking, I'm not going to love this, but I'm going to go ahead and you know get a big old honk and bite. You got to try everything, right? Yeah. <gasps> so good. Really. Nothing. Nothing chemical. Nothing false about it. And it's just it's just chilled shrimp in a in a cup. No, dude. It's not. I'll buy you some. It's not. It's 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 so much better than that. It's like every But that's shrimp what it is, salad. right? It's it's shrimp. Yeah, technically, okay, fine. If you want to be pedestrian about it, that's <laughs> it's just so much more than that. This is exactly what American seafood should be. Cold, wow. lightly dressed, hint of citrus. Oh, there's dressing on it too. Okay, all right, fair oh, enough. Oh, okay. it's just marvelous. It was so good. And I thought, well, that means that the tart is going to be trash. Well, so, by the way, uh, so the chilled crab and avocado thing is six fifty, right? The smoked shrimp salad six twenty five. So worth every penny. Okay, fair enough. And then Safe. we come to the wild mushroom and truffle tart. Okay, I will say this: it is not as glorious or glamorous as it is in the picture. Almost nothing is. But if you like good food, like I already know the three of us do. Mm-hmm. You're not gonna care. All right, she ain't pretty. It's a little, it's a little plop of pastry. It's puff pastry, <laughs> right? So it's baked up and it, it's flaky. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. She's not gorgeous, but yeah. we were all we were all wilted at that point. The most delicious mushroom mixture. I mean, I was, I I was just overjoyed, giggling by myself in the middle of the rotunda. <laughs> I'd, love, I'd love to be like the people who are watching Chrissy eat, like. <laughs> She's making these noises and laughing to herself. Just giggling. I was delighted. And then I was like, all this in AC too? Like, when when was the last time I was this excited about an entire booth? Just money well spent. And there, I just, I can't say enough good things. Absolutely skip over hops and barley. Just say a prayer. Hopefully they come back with the seafood boil. You know, some version of that. Uh, just say a prayer for the lobster roll and, and move inside. Get inside. Fair enough. So good. Okay. And then also um, Tangerine Cafe opened, right? Over in Morocco. Yes! 
And this was, this was one of the highest rated restaurants in Walt Disney World prior to its closure. I, I support this. It's wonderful. There's AC. There's counters that you can sit at. There are tables. There are booths. The outdoor seating, well shaded, as everybody yeah. knows. Also gorgeous with the tiles. I walked by there yesterday. There was, um, there was. This is a hidden gem. There's almost no one inside. Yeah. Like at, at two really? o'clock. Yeah. Yep. Same thing. They don't do the AC as well as the Americans, but it is. It's much cooler, um, oh. and that's nothing to play with because we stop by first aid once a week in some park just to check and see. You know, what are you seeing a lot of? What's going on? Dehydration, and blisters, I mean, the usual stuff, right? Heat exhaustion, heat stroke. It's no joke. And it's yeah. really bad. It's especially bad in younger people, we were told the other day, um, who the babies who can't communicate, younger right. children, who, if they start to get lethargic, that kind of thing. Anyway. And that's been consistent. So I've seen that since ever since yeah. when I had her accident at the uh, um, Grand Fiesta Tour back when she was like 10. Yeah. All right. We, we stop in just to, yeah. and it's bad. And, and the important thing that we tell people all the time on Instagram is you don't have to wait in line. You don't have to mobile order. If you need ice, you go right up to a cast member and they're going to help you. There's not yeah. a cast member. They'll do whatever they can to help you to feel better quickly. And that's good. Yeah. All absolutely. Right. All right. So what are the, uh, what are the places that you would, you would skip? France. I'd skip oh, you've France. said this now. Yeah. All right. I went three times. I went opening day. Opening day, you have to give everybody a pass, right? Because it's it's the big. Is it a surprise that it's opening? I know that you you say that. You know my feelings on this. Okay. Okay. Well, we're having. You know, we're we're still coming out of some staffing challenges, and you've got folks. I talked to one two yesterday that had never worked the festival before. So, yeah, you know, you got to give them. It runs what six hundred days. We got to give them some (laughs) leeway. So we went opening day. And we got, of course, we got everything. Yeah. And the thing that stood out, two things, the um, escargot, the croissant was blackened and it wasn't supposed to be. Yeah. <laughs> it's Cajun. It I mean, you know, uh, Cajun is French, right? As Mary Berry would say, it caught. Yeah. It, it caught. caught. <laughs> uh, well, all right. Fair enough. Uh, that can happen, right? Uh, shouldn't have served it to me, but again, it was. There was no AC. I swear there was no AC in that booth. And those folks were working really hard. Okay. And then there was the creme brulee. Grand Monier. You put you put a picture of this on or a video of this on Instagram and I I was trying to identify what the dish was. And creme brulee was probably gonna be the last thing that I picked. Go ahead. It was beyond jiggly. It was liquid. It was liquid, right? It never yeah. set. No, too much alcohol, too hot. So I thought, you know, that's not fair. It was, it was, imagine a small pastry tin, Jim, with a light coating of uh, like a custard, but then uh, vodka poured in the middle of it, sloshing around. That's the video. That's normally my Monday morning. Where did you get my grandmother's recipe from? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> So we excused it and we said that, you know, it's not fair to trash it. They won. Who knows? Complete well, you surprise know what? that this was happening today. All I right. understand. I do. Who knew Florida would be hot in July? Go ahead. Okay. We go back day three, figure a hack, give them a minute. I'm sure they got feedback on it. Day three, I pay more attention because I'm, I'm wondering like, yeah, man, is this, what's going on? I know it's prepared offsite because you have to have the Bon Marie. You can't, they don't prepare that stuff there. Sure, okay. Sure. I know enough about it that I know there's no way it's prepared there. So what's happening is I'm being nosy and they're taking these enormous sheet trays, like gigundous 
sheet pans of all of these creme brulees and they're putting them on one pan together. So a bunch of little tarts on a giant pan. Giant pan. Okay. And then they're sprinkling the sugar and then they're doing the blowtorch to create the the top of it. And this is in the kiosk. Yeah. And okay. so the creme brulee, um, we learned a lot about the food transportation when I was uh, at Tusker House's opening. There was a really lovely chef there that spent a really long time talking to me about why the biscuits at um, Pongu Pongu are better than anywhere else in Panama. And, and, and I didn't believe you on this until I, Jim, have you had these biscuits? I it's, have sworn for years. It's it's cheese, <laughs> sausage, and egg biscuits at the small beverage stand in Pandora. The best biscuits okay. I've had in Walt Disney World. They have a char. They have they're this amazing, but they're not as good anywhere else. Not uh, Tamu Tamu or not nowhere else that sells them in the no, park. They make them sell. right there. She said it's just feet away, and it's the transportation that yeah, gets you it's it's because sits, they're yeah. they're not sitting. No, 100%. I ate one of those and I was halfway through it and I texted Christy and I was like, I'm getting back in line for another. I told you. I told you. Yeah. I, it's the only place you get the biscuit. Everywhere the else. The cheese happens. was melty. The sausage was juicy. So uh, oh, yeah, it was great. I mean, the biscuit was still tender. wasn't dry at all. Like they had just I don't like, know a lot. I don't know a lot. I know a biscuit. I know a biscuit. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, anyway, I, I was applying this biscuit traveling theory to the creme brulee. And okay, I was thinking, fair enough. Yeah, okay, cool. Maybe they've, you know, improved the transportation, whatever, whatever. Got back in line inside. First of all, uh, note, took 28 minutes in line on Thursday. But again, lousy with bloggers. That's our fault. Cool. On Saturday, it was 14 minutes well, in they, line. They, we said they, they doubled the number of registers open to it. They the did. Okay, yeah, they, they split it. Uh, and then the third time I went, it was only 11. That's doable. Okay. I wouldn't do it again, but for other folks. So, okay. Second time, I go back, creme brulee, and I'm thinking, let me pay attention. They've got the whole pan. Uh, they're taking about, for just mine, it took about four and a half minutes. Um, to get to mine because they're doing sprinkle, sprinkle, sugar, 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 sugar. And then they're doing blowtorch on each one. So it's not, they're not prepping each one individually. They're doing a row because, you know, the cast member will come up and say, four creme brulee all day. You know, this, there's people waiting because they're checking people out. So they're trying to pump out as much as possible. Meanwhile. I mean, they're not, they're not pre-making them. Let's give them credit for that. Yes. Valid. Okay. Exactly. Which is why I was trying to be understanding. So uh, the whole time though, this creme brulee that's even more delicate because of the high alcohol concentration is just sitting there not setting. Okay. And it's warming is up. It, is it because of the heat? I don't know if it's the time that's lapsing between the fridge and then you actually getting it in your hand, but it was jiggly again. So I thought this surely could not be. This just can't be. They wouldn't keep serving this. Yeah, it was they, better. Somebody, somebody has to see what they're putting out on a plate, right? <laughs> it was better than the first day. And the and the croissant did improve. It was much prettier. Okay. Uh, still wouldn't buy it. Still too salty. Not worth the money. But the creme brulee just either has too much alcohol, doesn't have enough time to set. It's out too long, whatever it is. So many other things worth the money. I skipped that 100% of the time. Is this one of the temporary buildings that's hauled out from yes. back? Or is, all right, so it's not one of the permanent uh, show kitchen setups. Uh, so- well, okay. 
so I actually have a question for you on that, Jim, because we had a, there was the, um, the building next to France between France and Morocco, which used to be the, it's the Lachaim building, uh, festival of the holidays, which I thought was a permanent building, but then was moved. It is gone. Now. I saw you that you got pictures of that, the, the, the disappearing building. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so aren't all yeah. of them temporary? Or- well, no. They, correct me if I'm wrong, Lynn. There were at least at this point five and six, and it, you know, depending on whether we're talking about the the festival of the arts or the holiday mm-hmm. or open kitchens or that they use a different buzz phrase for each of them. But the, there are ones that have been permanently built that, that are there forever. Yeah, they're yeah, pretty much pretty much they're there all the time now. The the theming might mm-hmm. change slightly, but it's just there. Yeah, I would say France is one of those. I mean, yeah. it, it's like a building building. Yeah, and but it's just it's one of these things where you would think with one of the permanent buildings, you'd have sufficient refrigeration for something like this. Knowing where France is and how easy it it would be with the perimeter road right back out there to get timely deliveries. I mean, this just doesn't make sense that this is being served this way. Yeah, it's Um, it's got to be something with the recipe where it's just not coming together to set. It does have a lot of alcohol in it. It's a very strong but, alcohol. So cut back on that, though. I mean, it's you know, if, it has to be right before it before you worry about a buzz. It's if it's not if it's not proper, then there's no point. In, no eh, point there's so many other fantastic options. It's it's not worth. I will try it probably two more times during the festival, but just this thing. I wonder if it cools down when it, you know when we start getting to like late November or November. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see. Yeah. All right. So what else? Um, what else would you? Skip. Um, the only other thing that I would skip for sure, uh, two well, two things: Appleseed Orchard, the food. Do the, not. This is uh, the Canada Pavilion. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, I did not think no, that was great at all. It's just a tart and then some apple juice. The great thing is, uh, smells lovely. Smells like Bath and Body Works in <laughs> October. All right. Uh, it's super dark. Babies are going to want to nap in there, and they have AC. They have tables. They have chairs. Well, did you notice too the um, that people were using the railings that you lean on to watch the film as you know six inch wide tables, which I thought was Absolutely. great. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, but AC and and that's hard to come yeah. by right now, and it's really the only way to enjoy your food. So, get your fillet from outside, and come inside. <laughs> Have a little, uh, as as much as you can be exposed to the AC, and we've really tried hard to. They, it's good that they spread them out the AC locations. Yeah, um, there's you know they're within walking distance of all of the outdoor kitchens. Um, the only other thing that I would skip would be um, that got priced out for me this year was the soup in Canada. The cheddar uh, bacon soup. Yeah. Yeah. There's just so many other options. They uh, increase the price. It's been pretty steady for years and years. Also, it's cheddar bacon soup in July. Is yeah. Well, but you know what? I was dogging that the udon at the noodle yeah, exchange. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. All in favor of soup. You also oh, liked um, the wing place over at Epcot Experience, right? I loved it. It's not, uh, you know, snazzy. It's uh, not revolutionary. It no. is good, good wings, good pizza. Shareable sizes, decent prices. Air conditioning, seating. Yeah, yeah. Seating. You're close to a bathroom. I mean. Yeah. Everything everything good right there. Yeah. Oh, well done. Yeah. And you're close to the donut box. What? Go. I thought the donuts were just okay. It was, was, again, it was was 100 and some degrees when I was there. Everything was melting. And I was like, I don't need melted chocolate in July. Well, you obviously just don't. Okay. Well, I loved it. That was our first stop. Loved it. I mean, it's airborne diabetes. It's just, 
fantastic. Loved it. Loved it. Good quality. It's happy making. The only other note that I would have is that there are four locations with AC. Mm-hmm. Take advantage of them. Bring your food in from other places. They're not going to stop you. So it's oh, the Apple Orchard, Tangerine Cafe, Rotunda Bistro. That's the best one. And then the brewing at um, Epcot Experience. It seems like they put them in the corner so that you could you don't have to go too, too far um, before getting to one. So that's good. Yeah. But there are tables in each of those. Right. Uh, chairs. And again, the best AC America, hands down. <laughs> So great and wonderful food. All right. And then to uh, to wrap up, the uh, the menus are going to change again. Our seven new booths are going to open on October 1st, yeah, right? October 1st. We're going to do it all again. Yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, thank you for doing that, Chris. I appreciate it. Jim, any last words on this? No, this was a delight. I, I absolutely, we, we, when we do this, you know, when they do the next seven booths in October, Chris, you have to come back. Thank you, Jim. I really appreciate it. It's a lot of fun. All right, folks. That's going to do it for the Disney Dish Show today. Thanks to our special guest, Christina Harrison coming on the show. Folks, please head on over to DisneyDish.BandCamp.com where you'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes, including a new show on the history of Disney on Ice. On next week's show, Jim talks about the very first people to ever set foot on Disney Cruise Line's private island Castaway Key. You can find more of Jim at JimHillMedia.com and more of me, Len, at TouringPlans.com. We're produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who'll be flying colorful, tethered hot air balloons at night during the Butts Aglow 2021 <laughs> Festival, presented by the Butts County Chamber of Commerce on Saturday, August 7th, starting at 5.30 p.m. at the Rivers Branch, near the intersection of Route 23 and Highway 42 North in beautiful downtown Jackson, Georgia. While Aaron's doing that, please go into iTunes and Radar Show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We'll see you and Gigi on the next show. <laughs>